Hello, I'm Mariette Sneeman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Today's topic is nourishing, not punishing, your body to create health. My guest is Dr. Loretta Ferrucci, homeopath, behavioral specialist and mind-body coach from East London. Welcome, Loretta. Thank you, Mariette. It's lovely to be here. To our listeners, after our conversation, Loretta will give us her three best tips on self-love and then it will be time for a fun question. Loretta, could you give us a brief overview of what you do? Thank you, Mariette. Yes, I currently work as an online health and wellness coach um, uh, and I'm very much involved in the transformational space and self-empowerment. So I teach people tools and techniques that they can continue to apply once they're no longer working with me so that they can live inspired and joyful lives. Now, we all want a healthy body and in our visually focused society also a beautiful body, but we don't really seem to know how to achieve this. Could you tell us how you view this? Um, absolutely. Societally, there's an ideal that we are told we need to aspire to in terms of bodies. But the truth is, bodies are like personalities. They're unique. Now, one thing is that our whole health paradigm, and I mean, I'm just going to chuck them all into one category, which is possibly not fair, but just for the purposes of brevity. Our health paradigm is essentially based on eradicating or eliminating or suppressing. And our diet and fitness culture is actually based on punishing through deprivation or you know, eating loads of protein or exercising to exhaustion repeatedly. Essentially, that diet and fitness industry, and even to a certain extent, the sort of nutrition and what we call the health industry, our model is you have to eradicate, suppress, or eliminate. It's this sort of no pain, no gain kind of philosophy. And nobody has ever flourished from being punished. If you look at children, you know, if you have a child who's repeatedly punished and repeatedly told how awful they are and punished for being who they are, they, can, they, they can't flourish. And so we do that with ourselves in terms of our bodies. So we starve them or we overfeed them. You know, we, we have the starving binging cycle or we feed them things that we don't like. We make eating an unpleasant experience or we work them to exhaustion um, or we don't work them at all. We don't move them at all. We lie on a couch and we don't do any exercise, for example, or we do exercise we hate. And that is punishing. So it's no, it's no surprise to me that almost no one has what they would call their ideal body because the system that is geared towards creating that, whether that's your ideal health, whether that's optimal energy, whether that's the way you look, essentially is, is all built around the, the premise that if you don't punish it, it's never going to work, which is one of the reasons why people find it very difficult to change their health because until they reframe the way they're looking at it, who wants, who wants to start a punishing regimen that they want to maintain for the rest of their lives so that they can look and feel a certain way? No one does. And that's what we have to change. 
Yeah, I think I'm not the only one listening to you say that who who will breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> because you know that Monday syndrome, when you start eating properly or when, when you start exercising, and it usually doesn't last very long, this becomes quite clear when one listened to you saying that it's because we fo- we're focusing on punishment. Absolutely. And we're also focusing on what is wrong. So we're focusing on the problem. So if we operate in the creative orientation, which is a, um, it's a body, but the creative orientation is like, how do creatives create works of art, for example? So if you are an artist, um, you are longing to bring something into the world. And that is something that you lovingly bring into the world, regardless of your circumstances, which is why so many really world-famous artists have essentially had sort of tortured and difficult lives, you know? Um, so how could they create such beauty when they were, when they, when their life circumstances, for example, were miserable or they were chronically depressed or whatever the case may be? It's because your attitude doesn't create your reality. Your focus creates your reality. What are you focusing on? So, I don't know, Vincent van Gogh, when he was extremely depressed, his focus, even though he was depressed, was on creating whatever his next work of art was going to be, which is why he could do that. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't necessarily fall into the depths of depression after, but the fact is that in order for us to create what we'd love, we need to focus on that thing. So if you keep on focusing on what's wrong, the extra 10 kilograms that you don't want, the pain that you don't want, the lack of energy that you don't want, the fact that it's not working for you, the fact that you're actually frustrated with your body and you're constantly speaking negatively to it or to yourself because you're doing this to yourself, right? Your body's not separate from you. So your negative self-talk, your judgment, your criticism, it's never good enough. It can never measure up to your expectations. If that's where your focus is, it doesn't matter what program you implement, you are ultimately going to have long-term failure. So you can have short-term gains, and this is what happens when we go on a classic diet, whether that's for your health or your weight. Essentially, um, it's, it's, you're a bit more motivated if it's for your health, right? So if you've got a health mm. condition that frightens you and you know your doctor says you've got diabetes, stop eating sugar, it's easier to stop eating sugar if you're terrified of the diabetes because you don't want a leg amputation, for example, than it is to just stop eating sugar because you don't want the 10 kilograms. But it's the same. The principle is the same. The amount of fear that drives you is just a little bit bigger. So if your focus is on the frustration of what is not working, it doesn't. what you're going to do is you're going to use your willpower. You're going to be disciplined and use your willpower and you're going to harness your willpower. But, you know, willpower at best, in my experience, from what I've seen in my own life and what I've seen in my patients over 27 years, discipline lasts for about six months. Because your focus is still on what's broken. Even as what's broken is now getting fixed, you're not suddenly going, all your insecurities around your body um, and all the difficulties in your life don't just disappear because your body gets healthier you still got life, right? you still got a balance of support and challenge going on. And so after six months, your, your discipline, essentially, your willpower runs out. And then you revert back to your old habits, which is why in a year or two, you generally are back where you started, sometimes quicker than that. So it's because your focus is still on what's broken. Whereas if your focus is on that vibrant, optimal health that you're going for, or that beautiful healthy body, 
that you're trying to create, you're focusing on creating that work of art as opposed to focusing on constantly bashing the thing that isn't working. Now, that may sound like splitting hairs to some people, but it makes a huge difference in terms of what your outcome is and what the longevity of your outcome is. Yes, at this stage, I'd just like to mention that you and I have recorded a previous podcast called What is Your Ideal Body, where you explain how one actually approaches this practically. I'll link this podcast to the previous one if someone wants to know how you, how you approach this in a practical way with clients. The question I'd like to ask right now is, what about the body positive movement? Is, how do you view that? Is that a way to move from a negative body image to a more positive body image? And is it working? So I'd have to say yes and no. Um, so I think body positivity is a huge step forward because essentially it is focusing on inclusivity. It's focusing on we can include everyone. So body positivity is not only for people who um, are overweight, for example. Body positivity is for people who are underweight. It's for people with disordered eating. It's for people with body dysmorphia, all different shapes, sizes, nationality, races. It's very inclusive. So from that point of view, I think it's great. And it's also a more sort of realistic view because it's including more people than what it's excluding. Where I think it fails, and where it's maybe not that great, is that I've got to go back a little bit. So in the first three years of our lives, we develop our view of ourselves, others in the world. We essentially develop the map of reality as laid down by our ego. By the time you're three, your ego is fully formed. Your sense of this is who I am, you know, I'm Loretta, I've got brown hair. Well, I used to have brown hair, I've got gray hair now. <laughs> I've got brown hair <laughs> and brown eyes and, um, you know, flesh-colored skin and, and so on and so forth, okay? So by the time you're three, your ego is fully developed and your ego is linked to your rational mind, your thinking mind, and your ego basically has accumulated information in those first three years and formed a map of reality. And that map of reality is what do you believe about yourself what do you believe about others? And what do you believe about the world? So that map is created to keep you safe. And so all of those beliefs are generated based on some sort of trauma. Now, the trauma doesn't have to be abusive. It can literally be your parents tried controlled crying to get you to sleep through the night. And you perceive the fact that they didn't come when you were crying as the fact that you weren't good enough or that you didn't belong to them or that you were powerless or, you know, that you were out of control, whatever. All right. So it, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a massively um, intellectually traumatic event. So all the little traumas essentially formulate these beliefs that we have about ourselves and other people and the world. So a belief would be something like, um, I'm not good enough is one of mine. Other people are um, much better at things and things come easier to other people. That's what I believe about other people. And um, the world is an unfair place. It's unfair out there because I have to struggle and they don't. So that is a, that's a limiting belief. So our limiting beliefs are all about what is wrong with us. You know, I don't belong. I'm not good enough. I'm unworthy and so on and so forth. And those limiting beliefs drive our behavior and our habits. All of them, whether they're your money habits or your health habits or your relationship habits, they drive our habits. 
So if we do positivity in any way, so if it's body positivity, if, you, if I've got an underlying belief of I'm not good enough and I don't belong and the world is unsafe and cruel, I can try and be as positive as possible about my body, but my limiting belief is actually going to be contributing to the reality that I create, which means that I'm going to find myself in circumstances where the truth of me not being good enough is being mirrored to me. And so I'm still sitting with the pain that that engenders, but now I'm trying to be positive and accepting of my body. And so where the body positivity movement potentially is problematic is that now we need to be body positive, which means that we accept everything, but sometimes body positivity can be um, a, a denial of like what could be a real health risk, for example. So it's, an, it's, an, it's useful and it helps to soothe us and it helps us to create a community for sure. But I don't think that it addresses the fundamental issue. And the fundamental issue is what is it that you truly believe about yourself? And I just want to say you can't change that. All you can do is become aware of those limiting. There are other beliefs that you can change, but those limiting ones, you can't change them. But you can become aware of them and you can notice how they're showing up in your life. And your body can show you what that is. And um, your habits will show you what that is. And once you become aware of it, that's when you're capable of making a choice and choosing something different. And if you use your willpower to do that, rather than to restrict your calories or uh, exercise harder or whatever it is you were going to do, then you would stand a much, much better chance. In fact, I can tell you guaranteed, you will create what you'd love rather than keeping on creating the same patterns over and over and over, which is what we do with yo-yo weight gain and loss or you know, signs and symptoms that appear and disappear. In other words, your willpower should be aimed at changing those beliefs, becoming aware and then in some way managing to choose new ones rather than changing your behavior. Yeah, okay, so let me just clarify that. So you, you can't change your limiting beliefs. So you need two things in order to create something. So think about an artist again. You know, We'll use Vincent van Gogh, right? So mm. when he wanted to paint the sunflowers, he had to have been inspired by those sunflowers, right? Somehow. He must have seen them in a field or in a vase or I forget what the painting looked like, looked, looks like. But essentially, he had a vision of something he wanted to create. He wanted to put that image on canvas, Okay. Right. But he also would have had a limiting belief, right? So let's just assume, I mean, I'm making an assumption. Let's assume that his assumption was he's not good enough or, you know, um, or he's invisible. So let's assume that he's, was in, he's invisible. He's like, no matter what I create, no one's going to see it. No one's going to appreciate the beauty that I've put on this canvas. So now he's, he's got tension. He's got tension between this force that wants to create the beautiful painting mm. and the belief that says you're not good enough or you're invisible. No one's going to look at it. Okay. So he gets to choose which one of those two he's going to give his attention to. So if he puts all his focus on I'm invisible, he's not going to paint the painting, right? He's not even going to stretch the canvas. He's not going to prepare the canvas. He's not going to get the paints. He's not even going to try because his focus is going to be on, well, why would I bother? Because I'm invisible anyway, right? Mm. Or if the drive to produce the painting, if that's what, if he goes, you know what? I don't care if no one ever sees it, actually. It's okay. 
I have to produce this work of art. He's, where's his focus? His focus is not on the belief, even though the belief is still there. His focus is shifted onto what it is that he's trying to create. What is it that he would love to create? So it is the same whether you're trying to change anything in your body or, or, or in any area of your life. You've got the reality, the truth of what is. The truth of what is is your limiting beliefs unconsciously, those are your default setting. You default your focus in that direction. And the truth is that your soul or that higher part of you, your higher self or your soul is longing to express itself in the world somehow. Mm. It's like it's got a song that it wants to sing, okay? And so if my soul wants to sing the song of helping people and empowering them with their health, don't think for a second my limiting beliefs are not saying, oh, please, Loretta, who are you in any case? What do you know? I mean, you're just some little nobody from a little town on the east coast of South Africa. Who's going to listen to you? In any case... You know, there are people that are much cleverer than you are that are saying the same thing, that are helping millions of people. Mm. Who do you think you actually are? Okay. So it's there, right? But if I can access that part of my soul that wants to sing this song, and there are ways of doing that. You, you need to use your imagination and intuition. So there's structured ways of teaching people how to do this. I do this with my clients as well. When you can connect to what that song is, all you have to keep on reminding yourself is, what is the song I'm trying to sing? What is the song I'm trying to sing? What is the song I'm trying to sing? So, yes, I've got a limiting belief of I'm not good enough. Is that going to stop me from singing my soul song? Actually, no. I'm going to recognize there it is. That's how it sabotages me. And I'm going to take action that's in alignment with getting my song sung. I think I've mixed a lot of metaphors, but I hope that that sort of makes sense. You've made it very clear. I now see where the choice lies, and I see why you say that the main thing is where your focus falls. That's exactly it. Yes, thank you. I'm glad you got it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> the other question I wanted to ask you is uh, what your view is of intuitive eating. So can I tell you a little story about intuitive eating? So, you know, so I told you I had this yo-yo weight problem my whole life. I don't know. Did I tell you that in our previous one or did I tell you in this one? I think it was in the previous one. But I'll, as, as I'm going to attach the link, if someone wants to listen to that, they can do that. Okay, perfect. Thank you, Mariette. Okay, so I've had a yo-yo weight problem for most of my life. And because of that, I have really, really focused on educating myself nutritionally. And I was always looking for that next magic bullet diet. You know, I always thought that it was just... It was, a, it, it was a way that I, I just wasn't eating the correct nutrient ratios, for example. Or, you know, maybe if I ate more protein. Or, I was always looking for that magic bullet diet. And what I discovered was that, um, although there's nothing wrong with any of them, really, um, there is no magic bullet diet. And uh, in about 2010, I decided, you know what, I'm never going on a diet again for the rest of my life because they don't work. And all they do is they make me feel um, ashamed of myself when they fail they um, ruin my self-image. I'm hard. I'm, I hate on myself when I can't stick to them. They, basically, I'm just punishing myself, and I'm not doing that. And there's got to be a different way. And then I read a book by a hypnotherapist that wrote a book about weight loss, and he was saying that there are a couple of things that naturally slim people naturally do. They eat only when they're physically hungry. They eat whatever they feel like eating. They stop when they've had enough generally, and they, they tend to eat without distraction. And I thought, okay, this is great. And so uh, I, I started practicing those, and, and I discovered later that this is called intuitive eating. I didn't even know there was a movement called intuitive eating. So I thought, hallelujah, I've now found the way. What I discovered was that 
although the theory is amazing and it's a much more nourishing system than, you know, you've got to eat X, Y, and Z and when you've got to eat and how much you can eat and when you're not allowed to eat and all the rest. Um, those intuitive eating rules are incredibly difficult to apply. Not all of them. So some of us can do some of them, but there's usually one or two that we really struggle with. And they, they're usually fundamental to whether you're going to have success or not. And so once again, I was like, okay, so what is the obstacle here? Why is it so difficult? Because if intuitive eating is a thing, which it is, and if these food rules make such perfect sense, why do we not just do that? Because then we'll all, we can all work out our own perfect diet. The problem is that these limiting beliefs, and, because they're unconscious, and the behaviors that they drive, as well as our fears, as well as our unconscious agendas, as well as the fact that we struggle to manage our energy body effectively, are all obstacles to having us apply the rules or the, the guidelines of intuitive eating. And so I certainly think that intuitive eating, having those as your guidelines, as opposed to, you know, you can't eat this and you can't eat that, makes a lot more sense because it's a much more nurturing um, system. But again, if you can't apply those, those guidelines, you're going to feel like a failure. So it's not any different from failing on an ordinary diet. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important that we remove the impediments to why it is we can't apply those guidelines of intuitive eating. So again, it's the thing behind the thing, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's a, there's mm -hmm. a thing that's like the cause beyond the cause. So intuitive eating as a system is certainly a whole lot more um, uh, nurturing. It's a lot more feminine-centric, which it doesn't mean the masculine is bad, but it's just more nurturing. It's more a case of how to nurture yourself optimally. It's more accepting. There's less judgment. The fact of the matter is if you can't stick to the guidelines, you're still in inverted commas failing at the system. So you're still going to hate yourself, which gets you no closer to self-acceptance and self-love. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that the more you, the more self-acceptance or self-love you have, do you think about this? If you have a child or a pet, you love the child and the pet. You wouldn't dream of starving them feeding them tons of rubbish that they, you know, couldn't tolerate, um, feeding them food that makes them sick. You wouldn't do that to them because you love them, right? So if we actually had a better, more intimately connected relationship with ourselves, we would also nurture ourselves more optimally. And it would become easy to apply those intuitive eating guidelines. But because inherently we are not aware of that, or we don't know how to do that, it becomes difficult to apply those guidelines. So in my program, I use intuitive eating guidelines. But what I do is I help people uncover the obstacles to why it is they find it difficult to apply them. That makes perfect sense. Thank you. Where can listeners find more information about your work? Mariette, the best place for them to find me is on Facebook. That's the platform that I'm most active on. They can find me on my personal profile, Loretta Ferrucci. If you type that in, you'll, I'll come up. Um, or they can join my private Facebook group, which is called Vitality Matters. So if you do a search for Vitality Matters, it will come up as a group. You just click on the group and there's an option to join. And then you can have access to all the free content that I put out in that group. 
Thank you. And then you also have a website. I do have a website. It's www.lorettaferrucci.co.za. And I'll attach that link to this podcast and also the link of the previous podcast. So if people would like to listen to that, they can. Thank you. I also wanted to just to mention that you work online. Yes, I do. And now, please, your three best tips on self-love. Okay, so tip number one is, please remember, you are the most vulnerable person in your life. Everyone else can get away from you. You can't get away from yourself. So please treat yourself with kindness. The second one is to remind yourself daily that death is inevitable. Now, that might not sound very loving. But the fact is that if we were aware that our death was inevitable and we didn't know when it was going to happen, we would live life more fully. And the third one is to play every day. Oh, I like that. <laughs> All three of them. Thank you. Now, your fun question. Are you ready? I'm ready. Once again, we're going to the realm of the imagination, so your answer needn't be practical. Loretta, I was wondering, if you could have any superpower, like in the movies, which superpower would you love to have? Ooh, just one. You can choose mm. two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I don't know if any real superhero has this, but I would love the ability to understand all languages and be able to speak them. That oh. would be amazing. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I would do with that, but that would just be lovely. Uh, yeah, actually, if I could have that, I think I might stick to that one. Mm. That's yes. a new one I've never thought about. <laughs> Thank you, Loretta, for giving us clarity about what makes it so difficult to have the body we like or, or the body we would love to have because we keep on punishing it instead of nourishing. You're very welcome, Maria. Thank you for having me. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone you care about. If you'd like a more fulfilling relationship with your beloved, if you wish parenting could be easier, or if you're interested in upping your emotional well-being, you're welcome to visit my website, mariettesneyman.co.za for free articles and podcast episodes. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me and the music is by Mart-Marie Sneyman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9 